Well, there was a report that the ACC looked at some Pac-12 schools to try and move out west. Yeah, let's just say I'm not buying it. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started just to be clear it's not that i am uh casting dispersions at the reporter of this particular story i'm saying that the evaluation you know i i just i question why something like this got out to a member of the media maybe it was leaked and they didn't want it out but the report was from uh espn's david hale i tend to trust people who report for espn and he said that quote the acc has looked at a few expansion options including Oregon, Washington, SMU, and West Virginia. From what I've told, the dollars just aren't there, which I'll get to uh, in a moment. He also discussed uh, or mentioned, alluded to, whatever, however you want to put it, what I talked about yesterday on the show, that the ACC wants Notre Dame because who doesn't? We talked about Notre Dame on yesterday's show. You can go check it out. And that that seems less likely now given the instability within the conference and frankly, the, the instability within the big 10 as well also makes it seem like, eh, not sure if anything's really going to happen on that front one way or the other, but the, the, the quote that was in there, you know, from what I've been told, the dollars just aren't there. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense in, uh, in some sense, but can we just go back to the, the four schools that were listed in there? Oregon, Washington, SMU West Virginia which which other expansion idea or rumor have we ever seen where you have four schools from three conferences and one of them is a G5 I don't know that those dominant like it just felt weird right like are there any ties between Oregon and Washington yes Are there any ties between those schools and SMU? Not currently, but we hope soon. Are there any ties between those schools and West Virginia? No. I think when you see these reports, and there was one that uh, I talked about, I think it was last week on the show, about Oregon and Washington being, quote, vetted and cleared to join the Big Ten. I think we have to take all of this sort of stuff with a grain of salt. Not that it's, it's not true that a conference isn't looking at all the options, but I am getting the sense more and more that these conferences in this age of realignment, which is everyone is really seeing time and time again, doesn't feel like it's ever going away. Ross Dellinger wrote about it. I've heard Josh Pate talk about it. I heard Joel Klatt talk about it on his podcast the other day. When it's not going away, I think what all these conferences are doing is they are trying to be prepared for any and every situation imaginable. And I don't think that being prepared 
for something that is far from inevitable and in fact quite the opposite and therefore highly unlikely, being prepared for that, I don't think inherently means that a move is imminent, right? That something is on the precipice of taking place just because someone is preparing, right? It's it, it's if you live in the Midwest, you have tornado shelters, right? And you do those sorts of drills. When we were all kids in school, we did fire drills, earthquake drills, or anything like that. You're doing it to be prepared if the worst or a situation that's highly unlikely comes to pass. But you're not doing it with the expectation that you're going to have to put those skills into practice. So the ACC, at a time when the the Magnificent Seven, as they've been dubbed, are looking to leave or want more money or are causing all you know this big ruckus and everything, the idea that the ACC would then suddenly go on the offensive and add schools, it feels like a misalignment of priorities and, and, and just realities for these for these schools and for these conferences. So I, I don't see that as being something that is particularly imminent and I thought was interesting to discuss on the show because I read that and just thought I I don't I don't see that, especially like only two schools that are on the other side of the country. This isn't the Big Ten with Maryland and Rutgers or USC and UCLA. This would be one coast going all the way to the other coast. I think that's a big reach. And Oregon and Washington, as of now, are still committed to being in the Pac-12. So I don't see that. But the second part of this quote is also worthy of uh, a discussion, at least the quote that I pulled from uh, the piece from David Hale, that the dollars just aren't there. So I think this is a great thing to, to kind of dive into here because how conferences and media executives view a certain institution and, and university as valuable uh, you know, a creative or dilutive or net nothing to the media pool. I think all that stuff is really fascinating because there are a lot of factors in play. It's not just TV viewership. There's market size, there's potential and all that sort of stuff, matchups you can draw. But the reason that I think the dollars don't line up is because the TV viewership numbers don't line up because that's kind of the interplay, right? Is the amount of value you can bring is based on the amount of viewers you can bring and USC and UCLA bring the biggest market in the PAC 12, that being Los Angeles and the second or third largest in the country, I believe. And so they are able to be worthwhile additions for the big 10. But so for PAC 12 schools, the calculation is different. And this is also playing into why it's taking so long, at least partially with, with regards to the media deal and why it's taken a bit longer is because determining the valuation and what it is, and there could be disagreements, all that stuff seems super plausible to me, though we don't have inside knowledge of that situation. The idea that the PAC 12 could say we're worth this much and the networks are saying, no, you're not worth that much. And there's disagreement there, I think can make some sense. So a benchmark, as I understand it for TV executives in terms of a live sporting event, bringing real value for, you know, ad revenue that they can then sell if they were to bid on uh, the media rights for a particular sporting event or group of sporting events is 4 million. 4 million is a significant number. That's just what I, I've come to understand. I've read that in more than one place. I'm not a TV network executive, but that's a pretty solid number, right? If you think about how many ads you can sell over the course of that broadcast, how much those are worth and everything and how much you're paying, like 4 million is a number where if you eclipse that, 
it's a pretty highly viewed college football game. And there aren't that many, right? There are not that many college football games individually that can get to that particular number. And in the Pac-12, that continues uh, to be true, unfortunately. And it's true in other conferences as well, which is why they're not as valuable as the Big Ten or the SEC, because the viewership is is just not quite there. And we'll get into those numbers, and you can dive into a lot of different numbers at FanDuel because it's America's number one sports book. Make a fast break. I said sports book. It's just a book. It's just a regular old sports book, but it's the number one sports book in America. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. They've got great promotions, safe, secure, super easy to use app, and you get paid instantly. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. So TV numbers here. In 2022, now this changes a little bit year to year because interest around a particular game fluctuates based on how successful of a season a team is having or how successful a season both teams are having in a particular game. That can be largely determinative of how many viewers a game can actually get. However, the Pac-12 had an excellent 2022 season. I think TV-wise it could do even better in, in 2023 given how many quality teams and brands they have going into the season. But in 2022, there were just three, count them, one, two, three, regular season games involving Pac-12 teams that eclipsed 4 million viewers. I'm going to pause, let that sink in. There were only three. Now, it's not as if other conferences have 40 and 50 and, and whatnot, but there were only three. Those three games were Oregon and Georgia, USC and UCLA, and USC Notre Dame. You may notice that of those three games, only one of them was between two Pac-12 schools. You may also notice that those two schools are departing the conference after this year. In case you're ever wondering why it's hard to negotiate a media rights deal and you know get valuation that's on par with the Big Ten and the SEC, that's a good peek behind the curtain as to why. Now, Oregon and Washington had about three and a half million. That was the most viewed regular season uh, intra-conference game between two Pac-12 schools a year ago. But for a variety of reasons, whether it's population density, culture, time slots, you could point at a number of different factors. Like the Pac-12 is a pretty solid ways behind. So, just for reference as well, in 2022, and, th and this is why the gap is widening so much, and you can probably go back in the history of college sports and all these universities and look at how, how we arrived to this particular point. Of the 25 most viewed college football games a year ago, 23 of them involved at least one of a Big Ten school an SEC school, or Notre Dame. The only two that were inside the top 25 most viewed games in college football a year ago that didn't include Big Ten, SEC, or Notre Dame were TCU in Texas 
They were in like the mid twenties or so and army Navy, which drew just under 7 million viewers. So this gap that the PAC 12 has to make up can't really be made up at least not in a short amount of time, right? Unless people start having kids at an immensurate rate and they all grow up to be massive football fans, which people should do anyway, frankly, because I mean, it's college football. It's awesome. But that that's, I think a really good articulation because it's just crisp, clear, and simple as to why the Pac-12 can't get on par with those other conferences. Like it's just the old expression in the SEC. It just means more. That's kind of how it seems. There are a lot more people in the South. Yes. But I mean, in the Southeastern conference, sure. You have the state of Florida, but I mean, out west, we have California. Now we're losing a lot of California, which is certainly part of the problem here uh, for for the Pac-12. But that was pretty striking to me when I went through and was looking at that sort of stuff. So uh, with regards to the ACC, though, and the initial point on today's show, it makes sense to me why the ACC might say, eh, I'm not sure if they're you know worth the viewership. And also makes sense as to why if the Big Ten were to invite them one day, Oregon and Washington, even the most viewed brands in the Pac-12, or two of the most viewed brands, right? It's Oregon, at least a year ago, it was Oregon 1, USC 2, UCLA 3, and Washington 4. They probably wouldn't be full media rights earning members because then you would have to get, you know, uh, consolations from other schools that earn a lot of money. And would they have to, like, would Indiana want to give up some money so that Oregon and Washington could come in there and trounce them? Probably not. So, just another reason why I don't think Big Ten realignment is imminent for the Pac-12, but could still definitely take place one day. So anyway, that's enough realignment talk for today. Let's get into some actual hard-nosed, hard-hitting football. So if you're an everydayer out there and you listen to me basically every day, I appreciate you very much. You also know already that I have what some could describe for a program that's been aggressively mediocre or worse the last several years. I have a potentially unhealthy growing fandom for the California Golden Bears football team in 2023. So I want to go through their schedule. By the way, by the way, this even surprised me a little bit the other day and just made me want to double down on my take on Cal going over four and a half wins and being a bowl eligible team. Did you know this is going to surprise you because it's Cal? That the 15th ranked transfer portal class in 2023 nationally, not out West, not amongst certain schools, nationally in all of college football. Did you know that the number 15 portal class belongs to the California Golden Bears? Did you know that? Would you have expected that? The answer is no, you probably wouldn't have expected that, but it's why I am picking the Bears over four and a half wins. And until something changes, I am going to uh, double down on that take. So their schedule though is most intriguing and actually has a lot of, a lot of interesting and tough matchups on it. They're, they're a little bit like Colorado in the sense that I don't think if you gave them somebody else's schedule, that's more favorable, they would be a four and a half win total team. Cause this was a Cal team that was four and eight a year ago, had a number of close competitive losses. They were five and seven the year before. So maybe four and a half is about right if you average those two out. But I think they are a better football team than they were a season ago. And they were a competitive four and eight, not an uncompetitive four and eight, but they were a competitive four and eight. So 
Their schedule begins at North Texas, a game they cannot overlook. But then they come back to Berkeley for two games at Memorial Stadium, and they play just the most interesting pair of opponents imaginable. The first one is Auburn. Yeah, I know. Auburn. That Auburn. Been to two national title games and won one of them in the last 15 years, Auburn. SEC Auburn. They are coming up to play the California Golden Bears. A game in which everyone is going to look at the two conferences and say, SEC, Pac-12, Cal has no chance, Auburn by 20. Just know that I haven't gone gone through and done game-by-game picks yet because there's still some details and things that could shake out. We'll save that for kind of the August timeline, roughly. But that Auburn game is circled on my calendar of Pac-12 upsets that I am poised to pick here on the show. Then they play Idaho the next week. Now, that should be two wins at a minimum. If it's three, they probably find themselves in the top 25, which has happened under Justin Wilcox before. They've struggled as the the seasons have gone on, but they've had some good starts in a couple of years. Now, Pac-12 play begins very rudely for Cal. They have to go at Washington. That's not ideal. That is a tough place to win. Cal has won there before. Oh, by the way, I I can't forget to share this note. Uh, Did you know that a Justin Wilcox coach Cal team has already beaten an SEC opponent? Ask the Ole Miss Rebels whether or not they should be worried about Cal. Ask Notre Dame a season ago whether Cal can give you a good scrappy fight. I'm just saying. I am just saying. Anyway, so they go at Washington to begin Pac-12 play. That's tough. Then they host Arizona State and Oregon State. That though those are an interesting couple of games because getting ASU first, I think Cal is a much better team than ASU at this point in time. Again, I don't think Cal is a conference contender. I'm just saying I think they can be bowl eligible this year, and they will pull at least one upset of the group that we'll call the Big Six contenders who have an eight and a half win total or higher this year: USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, uh, Oregon State. I think I put that out of order. Sorry, USC, Oregon, Washington are all at eight and a half. Utah, Oregon State, UCLA are all at eight and a half. They will beat at least one of those teams. That is a prediction I'm getting on the air now. It's a prediction I'm going to repeat from now until the season begins and continues on through. So they host Arizona State and Oregon State. And I wonder if that isn't a game that they could pull an upset, that Oregon State game. Because if you get Arizona State the week before, that's like a little tune-up. And after going at Washington, which is going to be a tough game, and they probably won't be able to to keep up with the Huskies in Seattle. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's the most impossible thing in the world. Arizona State, Oregon State. I'd watch for that sequence. Then they have to go at Utah. Nobody's winning at Utah. Nobody wins at Utah. It doesn't happen. It's just very, 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 very hard to do. And no, Cal's not going to do that. But they go at Utah. Before they have a bye. Then after the bye, they get to host USC. Do I anticipate them beating USC? Probably not. We'll see how Sam Jackson looks at quarterback. But my guess is Caleb Williams and that USC offense are just going to be too much. They played them all right last year. They made a late surge and, you know, it came down to a final possession. But USC is much better there. So that's probably not going to end up being a win. But hosting USC after the bye. 
is 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 better than playing them immediately after Utah, but is still a difficult stretch. And this is where things get tricky for Cal because after that game against USC, they go at Oregon to Autzen Stadium, probably not winning that game. So in three consecutive weeks, they have to play Utah. Well, I guess four. Utah by USC, Oregon, and two of them are on the road. That's pretty brutal. And that that's a tough, tough stretch. So, so far, they've got at Oregon, at Utah, and at Washington. And we're not done with their Pac-12 schedule yet. It gets softer on the latter half, though. They host Washington State. Not an automatic win, but a winnable game. They played them kind of tight uh, until Washington State pulled away a season ago up in Pullman. But they host Washington State. That's a winnable game. And then, and then. They go at Stanford. They go at UCLA to end the season. At Stanford, at UCLA. I don't know what UCLA is going to be at that point in time. I have a good idea of what Stanford will be at that point in time. So the good news here for Cal with their schedule, they have a chance for an early statement against an SEC team. They have stretches of winnable games, but the bad news, you got a really, really solid chance for a three-game losing skid that can not just hurt your record, but also demoralize a locker room. And when you look at the conference contenders or expect a conference contenders that they're going to have to play, they've got all of them on there. They've got all of them. They've got USC. They've got UCLA. They've got Utah. They play all the best teams from the South. And then because, or the former PAC 12 South, and then because they're in the North, they always have Oregon state, Washington, and Oregon. So, that's the downside here is the team that you're missing this time around is Arizona, who they thumped a season ago at Memorial Stadium. They, Memorial Stadium. They also don't play Colorado. So those are the sorts of breaks I was mentioning earlier where if the schedule were different, I think they would have a higher win total because I think they've gotten better in this offseason. But that is going to be that is going to be tough to have to play all six contenders. I think they will beat one. I think between Oregon State and UCLA, you have a winnable game in there. The other ones are are pretty tough because USC is going to be difficult to beat no matter where you play them. You get them at home, so maybe. But then having three, having having a bunch of the contenders on the road. You've got UCLA on the road, Oregon on the road, Washington on the road, Utah on the road. And Oregon State and USC at home. Not a great split. But I think between UCLA, Oregon State, kind of hard to pick another one because of how the home and road splits work out. I could see them pulling a big upset in, in there because no one's going to expect a lot of them. And that's very fair because that's kind of the way they've been with Justin Wilcox at the helm. But this is a guy who's brought in a lot of talent, who's brought in a new OC, who's brought in a new offensive line coach, who's brought in a new quarterback. They are making the sorts of changes they needed to uh, compared to what they did a season ago, and I expect them to be better. So fascinating breakdown there on uh, on Cal's schedule because it's it's brutal. It's, it, it, is, it is tough, but they have a couple opportunities. That Auburn game will be very, very telling in uh, week two. So wrapping up today's show, 
because this is locked on Pac-12. It's not exclusively locked on Pac-12 football. We like talking football because football reigns supreme, and it's my favorite sport. But I got to give a quick shout-out to Washington softball here. So going into the top of the seventh of their regional final game against McNeese out of the Southland Conference, they trailed six to nothing, the Huskies did. They were on the verge of being upset in a major way. They were on the cusp of seeing McNeese go to a Super Regional for the first time in program history. It was six to nothing. They were getting blanked. McNeese has the same starter out in the seventh inning. And in those situations, in the NCAA tournament, in which softball teams were down six or more runs, they were five and 903. Make it six and 903 because Washington put up a seven run top of the seventh. It was a crazy, crazy game. They're going to the Super Regional with a seven to six victory. They were down to their final strike, a la the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series against the Texas Rangers. Neftali Feliz on the bump and David Freeze at the plate. David, two strike freeze, launches a triple to right. Well, Washington came through with some big-time two-out hits, legged out a ground ball in the infield that would have ended it. The runner at first got a great jump, had a good secondary lead, took off right at the crack of the bat, beat the underhand toss to second, or else the game ends right there. That then leads to a walk and a three-run bases-clearing double to tie the game at six, then another double with two outs, scores that run, and... They end up winning the game seven to six. Crazy, crazy stuff. And anytime a team overcomes a historical mark of five and 903 for the record in that spot, they're worthy of a shout out on the show. So Washington softball, shout out to you. Quite the game. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.